Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You are listening to episode number 154. Our Sunday worship service for February 23rd, 2020 is Be Resilience. It is the eighth and final in the series, Legendary Life, inspired by the Beatitudes. Let us be defined not only by times of ease, but also by the way that we overcome challenges with grace and love. So our scripture is Matthew 5.10, and I'd like it if we could say it together. Let's read it together. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, brass tacks, right? You know, we... uh, We get through the Beatitudes and we hear blessed are the peacemakers and we're okay with poor in spirit and we like a lot of those. They sound good. They sound like good Beatitudes, you know, attitudes to have. I don't know about you, but the first time I was a kid, I was reading these and I thought to myself, okay, here's the fine print. Everything sounds good, primrose path kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment where Jesus says, by the way, not everybody's going to like this stuff. By the way, not everybody is going to be interested in this revelation that you have, in this life that you have, in this new path that you've discovered. Not everybody's going to be happy with it. I think a lot of people get to this place and they go, oh, I see Jesus. No free lunches, huh? which is funny given, you know, the bread and the fish, but that's a sermon for another time. Literally the best, biggest free lunch in history. But it's easy to go, okay, I get it. And in fact, there are some people that take that feeling of not everybody's going to be happy with what happens to you. There are some people that take that idea and they just run with it. We've talked in the past about the idea that it's kind of silly, kind of goofy to to use Christianity as an excuse to bully other people. We talked about that. We're over that, right? Well, it's the case that there are other people that read this part, blessed are they who are persecuted, and go the complete other direction, go, oh, I get it. I'm supposed to look for trouble. I'm supposed to find opportunities to get pushed around. I'm supposed to find opportunities to be bullied because somehow that makes me Christ-like. If I can really take a beating, You know what I mean. And inside and outside of Christianity, we know people, maybe we've been people, who are just racking up martyr points. You know what I mean? If I can really make you feel guilty about all the things I've been through, you'll you know, like me more or something. When even Dr. Phil says we teach people how to treat us, if you practice misery, you're only going to get good at misery, right? This is, this is not what Jesus is saying. It can't be what he's saying. It has to mean something different than if you're really good at this, you're going to get a chip on your shoulder. Right? That can't be it. Well, it turns out, as with all of these Beatitudes, it turns out that if you really look at what's going on, there is so much more just under the surface. If you really read it. So let's really read it. There's something amazing going on here because... I don't know if you remember all of the Beatitudes, and there is a test later. I hope everyone brought a number two pencil. Um, If you know the Beatitudes, what you know is that most of them 
have a structure of it's good to do this and that and the other because this will happen. There's a causal chain, right? If you're this, then you're going to get this. If you're this, then you're going to get this. It happens over and over again in the Beatitudes. Except this one, did you notice? There's no future. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's no shall be. It's this thing that already is. Do you know that there's only one other beatitude that is in present tense? It's the first one. So if you really read it, there's something, it's so easy to gloss over because they're kind of feel-good ideas, but there's some depth here. This is a present tense sandwich. Everything in the middle is about do this and then this. But at the beginning, the poor in spirit one, which we talked about weeks ago, where Jesus says, blessed are they who recognize that they have room to grow. The first step is to admit that you have a problem in much better language. Blessed are they who recognize at the beginning of this journey that they are at the, the precipice of infinity. Because right now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We go through all of these other things, inherit the earth, all of that. They shall be called sons of God, all of that. But we get here to the end, and not only is the present tense the same as the first, but the gift is the same as the first. It's the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do you know about the kingdom of heaven? Maybe when you were a little kid, you thought it was in the clouds, somewhere where the Care Bears live, I guess. I'm dating myself. Are there even Care Bears anymore? Something up there, up there. Somebody up there likes me. You've heard that. But the one and only time Jesus gives location to the kingdom of heaven, he says, it's in your midst, it's in your heart, it is here already, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, all of these kind of quotes, you've heard them all before. So if you really think about it, if you really read those Beatitudes, what's going on there is Jesus is saying, if you do these things, you will have something that already is. This is interesting. In other words, you will awaken to something that has always been. And when you think about it, if we're talking about God, the one presence and one power, it can be no other way. Let us get to the place in our spirituality where we stop waiting for God to show up like we're waiting for a bus. Because either God is or not. There's no room for some God area and, no, and another area where there's less God. There's just God. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is the, the message of the Beatitudes and the reason why they're so powerful is because it gets us out of process and into presence. If you want a life that works, get yourself out of process and into presence. This is a big deal because I don't know about you, but I have been trained for process for most of my life. Somebody said, if you do these things, you'll get good grades. If you do this job, you'll get money. If you do this, you'll get this. And I understand that there's a time and a place for that kind of a transactional time and space based thing. But you and I both know that there are some people that take that idea and run with it too, or they take a transactional approach to everything. Love. If I take out the garbage, you'll love me more. If I buy you flowers. Did he go to Jared? You know, that kind of thing. I like presents too, and I like garbage to be out of the house. It's nice, but that ain't how love is created because love, like God, just is. If you want things that work, it has to do with seeing something that's already there. Again, get out of process and into presence. There is something that already exists that is not earned, that is not made, that just is, and when you see it, 
that's everything. That's everything. Take a moment and ask yourself, what just is in my life? When I was a kid, I had a toy called Big Frank. It sounds like a mafia thing, but it was just a toy. Big Frank was like a Frankenstein's monster-looking thing, but kind of made cute. Rounded off the features and all that. You can Google for Big Frank afterwards. He's cute, trust me. A little cute Frankenstein monster, and he came with a bunch of tools. And you could open up the chest of Big Frank, and there were all these gears, and, and, and remember Big Frank? And uh, Big Frank stayed with me for much longer than he should have. I met Jenny when I was, when I was 18. Anyway, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a deep revelation. Anyway, the way you play with Big Frank was Big Frank had all these gears, and you could kind of move them out of sync, out of whack. And then Big Frank would say, fix me. Oh, fix me, remember? And then you'd take the tools and you'd fix them, and he'd say, I'm alive, thanks, and he'd say a couple of things. But the fun was breaking Big Frank so you could fix Big Frank again. That's how you play with Big Frank. And as a child, that's great. But there becomes a time to put away childish things. Think about how much of life has to do with breaking a thing so you can fix it again. Think about every game on your smartphone. I got to get these fruits in order. So that someone gives me more disordered fruit. Think about how much in life is like that. George Carlin has got a great run about golf. You take the ball, you hit it, and then you catch up with it. And then you hit it away from yourself again. He's going to say it better than I do, but the point of the joke is take the thing and put it in your pocket and go home. (laughs) So much of life is like that, but that's a game. And we're talking about real life. And yet... There are so many people that live life on the terms of I need to break something so that I can feel as though I'm fixing it. Have you ever had a term paper due or a report at work or some kind of something that you were supposed to do, obliged to do? And you spend all your time making sure the fonts are right on your computer. I got to defrag my hard drive before I can even get to this. I better clean my desk. Oh, man, I got to go to the store and get Formula 409 or whatever, which I don't even think they make anymore. I got to go get these things. I got to fix the thing to fix the thing to fix the thing. And at the end of it, you don't write the paper or do the thing. But I sent a bunch of emails to my congressman or whatever. Great. Good to do. Not right now. Your brain is kind of dumb. Not just you, me too, everybody, everybody, not just you, stick with me. Mine is really dumb. Worse than yours, I bet. But that's not what it's for. The brain is a domain of ego, and your brain is important, but not any more important than your pancreas or your spleen or your lungs or anything else. It's good to use your brain just like it's good to use your spleen. But your brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined stress. Your brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined deadlines. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Crossing something off a real to-do list or a phony to-do list is just the same to your brain. And so as you work, wonderful, brilliant, beautiful, smart person that you are, problem-solving person that you are, ask yourself, am I solving the right problem? It's so easy to work really hard to solve the wrong one, getting all them fruits in order, chasing a golf ball, sending a bunch of emails, great stuff. Your brain's very happy. Your boss, not so much, right? Life is like that. So instead of asking your brain, ask your heart, am I solving the right problem? 
This is important. You want to get good at this, it's in the Beatitudes. It's in the present tense sandwich of being right now. Earlier on in the Beatitudes, one of the things that we learned about was, you know what, stop judging other people. (laughs) Jesus says this a lot, doesn't he? You know what, let people figure out their own thing. Love them and bless them and try to inspire them with courage and truth. Be a good example, be a hero, all of that. But at the end of the day, let them do what they will because it's not your job to get between them and God. You can't grow for somebody else, right? All of these kind of things, we've heard them before. Stop judging, all right? That's in the greatest hits collection. (laughs) J-Tell. You like that? That's good, it's good. It's a slow burner for the rest of you. It's not all that funny anyway, but... This one takes it a step further. Because this is about not just not judging other people, but this is about deciding that what other people think about you is not going to make or break you. This is the next level of that. And it's not even just don't let it make or break you. It's actually one better than that. It's okay if people don't understand. Blessed are they who is persecuted, which is another way of saying blessed are you who gets hassled sometimes. If you file down the rough edges of that word persecuted, that's all it means is hassled. It's not just don't worry about what other people say. Jesus is saying take what people say, even if it's negative, and use it to grow. That's what's at stake here. Take what people say about you. It's not just about not listening because we're here to listen and love each other. Use what people say to grow. This is a big deal because so many people walk around looking for signs. And they do all kinds of stuff to get their signs. You know, I went to that thing. I went to the vortex. I went to Sedona. I went to a mountaintop. I went to Kenneth City. I went to wherever. I did the thing. I talked to the guy. I wore the special outfit. I got, I, I know this is, must be a sign. I did the, the mystical hokey pokey. I turned myself around. I got my sign. There's a lot of that. And I get it. I've been on my own version of all kinds of pilgrimages before. And I learned a thing or two, I suppose. But how do you go somewhere where you already are? If the kingdom of heaven is in your midst, you know, that can't be it. That's scratching the wrong itch. Solving the wrong problem. And let's think about that together. If it's God that we're talking about, the whirlwind, the thunderstorm, and the still small voice, the whole thing, if it's God that we're talking about, should it be that hard to figure out? How do I know if I'm getting my sign? Well, how do you know if you have a headache? Do you need to go into the doctor? Well, yep, we've ran our tests. You have a headache. You know when you have a headache, right? It just is. Do you think that God's more powerful than that? Think about it with me. How do you know when you're in love? Yeah, I know. I've seen the Nora Ephron movies too. Sometimes it feels a little bit more nebulous. But, you know, the truth is, you know when you're in love. Maybe you've got to get past emotional baggage and ego uh, paraphernalia, let's say, and all of that. But at the end of the day, the feeling of love itself, past all of the ego stuff. The feeling of love itself just is. It's there, and you know it when you see it, just like you know you're alive. Don't you think that God is more powerful even than that? 
So you're looking for a sign. Maybe there's something right in front of you that somebody told you you're not supposed to listen to. Maybe that's why part of what's going on in this beatitude is Jesus saying, you know what? If you're trying to have a life that works, maybe it's okay if people who don't have functional lives don't get you anymore. In a culture where there's a lot of things that are a little bit broken, maybe getting hassled for functional living isn't such a bad thing. Maybe it's a sign you're on the right track. Oh man, two of the most powerful words in the spiritual landscape are these words. You've changed. <laughs> you bet I have. I'm not participating in the old uh, racist joke anymore. I'm not participating in the, in the whatever paradigm that broke me down and made me feel terrible. I'm over it. It's not such a bad thing when you grow up with people and they love you so much that they know how to push your buttons. It's not such a bad thing when you get to that point where you realize that through my own growth, I have unhooked some of those buttons and they don't work anymore. And that person goes, hey, how come? I got to call the guy. Not such a bad thing when you learn a little bit more about who you are by looking at what you're not anymore. You want a sign? Here's your sign. <laughs> You know what I mean? There's something really beautiful about deciding what you identify with. And with that in mind, I want to get done with an idea. And it's one you've heard before. It goes like this. You've heard this before. Fall down seven times, get up eight. You heard that before? Secret of life, man. Fall down seven times, get up eight. That's what it's all about. He's usually like in some kind of commercial for pills you take when certain parts of your body don't work anymore or something like that. Fall down seven and get up eight. It sounds good. It's a Facebooky kind of thing, but you know what? Do me a favor. Quit saying it. You know why? It doesn't make any sense at all. Do the math with me. I'm walking around. I fall down one time. I get up one time. Fall down two times. Get up Two times, the numbers add up. Three, four, five, six, seven times. I only need to get up seven times. How do you get up eight times if you've only fallen down seven times? Well, can you fly? Quit saying it. It doesn't make sense. The numbers don't work. Whoever says fall down seven, get up eight, has fallen down too many times, and maybe they hit their head. <laughs> Come on. But what that indicates to me is Someone who is really thinking a lot about the fall down part and maybe not so much about the get up part. You and I both know people. Maybe you and I have been people who are really interested in identifying with the fall down part because that's the part where nobody judges me for falling down. They, they, they help me. So I'm going to do that part. But what if we identify with something else? You are not your struggles. You are not your hardships. They're real. Let's fix them. Let's work together. I'm not saying ignore them, but don't let them identify you. Don't let them define you. You can't be defined by something outside yourself. Notice with me that it's not even a good thing outside yourself that can define you. Nowhere in the Beatitudes does Jesus say, blessed are they who hang out with me and have purchased the t-shirt. It's not transactional, right? You can't get this through osmosis. You can't get it by being in the room with Jesus. You can't get it by any special ceremony. It doesn't work that way because you can't, can't get something you already have. The best you can do is wake up to it. 
So this isn't about who you know. This isn't about what you're fighting. This isn't about how many times you get up. This is about finding your identity differently. This is about, are you ready for this? A radical existential identification with a calling. Lots of big words. A radical existential identification with a calling. In other words, I am not defined by what I own or don't own, by who I know or don't know, where I've been or haven't been. I am defined existentially from the word exist. I exist based on the fact that I am called by spirit to grow and to change things, to make a difference and to love. I am defined by my calling. Whether or not you're a preacher, people use that word as a preacher word. We are all called to love and to grow. And I'm going to let that define me instead of whatever garbage I've been through in the past. Let's set ourselves free. That's what Jesus is saying, maybe. What do you identify with? That's the big deal. Remember that the, the, the Beatitude says, if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, and you know what the word righteous means. It means right use. In other words, blessed are they who are persecuted because they're trying to get their life working. They just want to use it right. This is not fancy words. Right use. So the question naturally is, well, how do I know if I'm using this life right? That's a good question. And unfortunately, part of that answer, part of it is just between you and God. You've got to work that out. That's why we pray. That's why we, we do this, th these things. But I can give you some guideposts along the way. One of the ways you know that your life is in right use is that you tend to be constructive versus destructive. Are you building something with your life or is your life about taking something down? Because you know God makes, if you are the image and the likeness of God, make too, right? We talked about this when we talked about blessed are the peacemakers. So I want to double down on that idea. A lot of people spend their life tearing something down. I've got to beat that to-do list. I've got to dominate my schedule even. What's well, true though, think about the terminology that people use. It's violent. How was your day? Oh, I killed it. Ooh. Do the authorities know? Think about it. Does your life tend to build up or tear down? What are you driving at? This is important, and I got to tell you, it's one of the reasons why it bothers me a little bit, and I recognize that it's my own pet peeve, so take it however you want. It bothers me a little bit when I'll see somebody say, I need to call on my prayer warriors. Now look, people who say that, they mean well. I get it. They want it, they're trying to say, I'm tough. And this feeling I have, this relationship I have with God that makes me feel strong, that's beautiful. I get it. But what's the war? Prayer builds. War tears down. Which one do you want? Oh no, it's me fighting against the bad guys. Okay, is there bad guys in God? Because there's a commandment about having only one power in your life. You got to argue with God. Maybe I'm fighting against God. Maybe I'm fighting God to make me healthy. Is that the kind of God you have? It is your Lord's whole business to love you, says Dr. Katie in Lessons in Truth. That's how this works. So in other words, let's not be prayer warriors anymore because every time I hear warrior, what I hear is prayer worrier. I'm worried it's not going to work, so I got to try to get tough somehow with my prayer. I got to beat somebody with my prayer power. Come on. If you're doing that, I want to remind you 
that God does not speak English. The universe does not speak English. Life does not speak English. God speaks intention, whereas your heart, and if my intention, if my fundamental paradigm is it's me against something, what that really means is in my heart, I've got less room for just God to be just God. That's the math. It's simple. And that's the thing. All of this is simple. If you want a life that works, get really good at understanding the difference between hard and tricky. Stick with me. If you want to get good at life, get really good at understanding the difference between hard and tricky. What's hard? They're big things. Getting your life in order, getting your heart in order, forgiving somebody maybe. These can be hard things. Growing, unlearning old habits. These can be hard things. But tricky means complicated. Tricky is not anything that Jesus ever talked about. This commandment really has to do with the idea of Jesus saying, look, none of this is tricky. None of this is complicated. But it might be hard. Do you see the difference? And I got to tell you, maybe it's just a 21st century Western culture thing, but a lot of people, myself included, are really good at substituting tricky for hard. I don't want to do the hard thing, so I'm going to do a lot of little tricky things. The hard thing is forgiving somebody and recognizing that the fullness of God is right here. So instead, I'm going to do the tricky thing of inventing a lot of ceremonies I got to do and getting a lot of paraphernalia, right? There are a lot of places you could go that will sell you a lot of spiritual equipment. Don't make you feel any closer to God. Is it tricky or is it hard? Part of this is Jesus saying, look, this is not easy for everybody, but it is simple. Anyone who says that spirituality is complicated is selling something. That's how it works. Jesus said, just show up. (laughs) That's all. You don't got to buy a lot of stuff. There's no five easy payments. You don't have to read the tape. (laughs) How do you read the tape? Stick with me. That's later in my special offer. But you know what I mean? Okay. So this is supposed to be simple. But I don't even know where to start. I understand that. Jesus is saying that that I've already got this inside of me, that God is already here. I don't feel any of that. Where do I go from here? How does that? It's great that you tell me that, but I don't want to just feel better on Sunday morning. I want to have something that I can actually do with my life that makes it better. Otherwise, it wasn't church. It was just a thing we did together where there was donuts. Let's stop settling for that, by the way. But that's a separate topic. Here's where to start. I want you to think about, as your homework this week, I want you to think about how many things you do that you know about that cannot be taught. Think about how many things that you do or you know about that can't be taught. I'll give you an example. I think I'm a pretty good dad. Maybe not the best dad. Not a ward cleaver yet, working on it. I don't even own a briefcase. But I think I'm a pretty good dad. Now, you can't teach that. You can't. Those of you who have had dads know that. Those of you who have been dads know that. You can't teach it. It's not even a matter of time. I've been a dad for 25 years plus. But you know as well as I do, there have been dads that have been dads a lot longer than me who are not doing a great job. And you know what? I have to believe there are dads that have just been handed a newborn who know things that I don't know yet. It's not about time. It's not about the hours you put in. There's something that just can't be taught that just is. And over time, perhaps that develops more. I'll give you that. But at the essence of it, it just is. 
The things that you know that can't be taught tend to be the things that you love. I can't teach you how to be a preacher, and I'm not saying I'm great at it. I am saying that I love it, and it's in my heart to do. I'm called to this. But if you were to say, how do you do this? I would say, I don't know, man. You can go to seminary. It's great. You do that. Read the Bible. That's great. There's things you can study. But at the end of the day, there are people with more advanced degrees than me who cannot reach anybody. And there are people fresh out of seminary who can do things I can't do. Can't be taught. It just is. But if you think about your life, there are things that you may take for granted that just are that you can't teach anybody. Those things are the truth about you. And so as your homework, I want you to cultivate that list. Really think about it. If you think about it and pray about it, I bet that list is longer than you might have first thought. I want you to live in that list for a minute because those things are the truth about you. Those are the things that are never going to be replaced by a computer or a machine. You're never going to be outsourced. Those are the things that are the truth about you. And I'll do you one better. God is trying to strip away the parts of your life that are not essential. God is trying to strip away the parts of your life that are not true. So find what's true, because I'll tell you what, boys and girls, the only choice you have is to go, you know what, this is making me better. It's okay that not everybody agrees with me. I'm going to run with this. Or the other choice is kicking and screaming. I'm going to find my identity through things that wear out, that atrophy, that cost money, that go away. You get to decide that. But at the end of the day, that's on you. Who are you? So we've come to the end of these Beatitudes, and it's good that we've gotten where we are because we can see some things that maybe we couldn't see before. I encourage you to take a minute and read back through them. Own them. Whether or not you memorize them, live in them for a minute. Think through them for a minute. If you feel led to go back and watch these lessons, Come find me. I want to talk to you about it. But at the end of the day, here's what's at stake. Everything is in these statements. Everything. The whole thing. Remember, this is Jesus' opportunity to talk to the big crowd. Okay, what am I going to tell you that's going to give you the key to the whole thing? And it's here. In this moment. It is a present tense sandwich of live in this moment right now. And you know what? Not everybody's going to get it. Decide that that's okay with you. Because you're not here to get agreement. You're here to show somebody what love looks like, so love. You're here to show somebody what life looks like, so allow there to be room for healing. You're here to set somebody free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.